you do everything in front of each other. You see each other at the very bare person that you are. And there's no hiding. And and I loved that about expedition life. It doesn't matter where you come from, what money you've got, what your background is. When you're on that ice, you look the same and it's who you are inside. Welcome to the Adventure Diaries podcast, where we share tales of adventure, connection, and exploration. From the smallest of creators to the larger-than-life adventurers, we hope their stories inspire you to go create your own extraordinary adventures. And now your host, Chris Watson. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Diaries. In today's episode, we're speaking to a world record-breaking polar explorer, about being part of the first all-female team to trek to both the North and the South Poles. We'll talk about her solo expeditions too, which she has done for both adventure and science, having done work with both NASA and the European Space Agency. She's a renowned international motivational speaker and has some incredible wildlife and stories too, including being stalked by a polar bear for days on end. She's been named the top 20 greatest British adventurers of all time, And in today's Call to Adventure segment, you'll hear her talk about ways that you can connect with like-minded adventurers and explorers too. And she has a fantastic cause that she raises awareness for in her Pay It Forward segment. So settle in and enjoy this fantastic conversation with Anne Daniels. Anne Daniels, welcome to the Adventure Diaries. How are you? Actually, I'm glad to be here. Um, just finished my first half marathon training session, so um, it's good to sit and chat. Excellent. Yes, thank you. We'll come on to that then. Uh, thanks for your time. It's a, it's a bit of a privilege and honour to, to have you here. Uh, and got some stuff I want to dive into in terms of your polar exploits, expeditions, and all the, the great stuff that you've done. But just as a maybe as always a quick introduction. Uh, you're a record-breaking polar explorer, aren't you? You've uh, world record first as part of the all-women team to go to both poles, and yeah. I think I think for me, being recognised as the top twenty great British explorers of all time. How does that feel when you hear when you hear that? <laughs> Uh, I, hear, I hear it a lot because uh, I get introduced a lot, but I almost feel like they're talking about somebody else. It's not really me, even though I, my brain says it is. Uh, it's been a great honour, but I've just, you know, done some stuff. And it happens that I'm a true believer that right now as women, we were born at the best part of history and and for me, geography as well, where I am, because my parents, grandparents would never have been able to do what I did as women. Uh, And actually, when we started, there were very few women doing it. It's not that there were hundreds and we happened to be the first women's team. So it's been a great honour to to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and you've gone on to do some solo expeditions as well, haven't you? And you've had some crazy encounters with polar bears that will come, come on to be yeah. stopped by polar bears. I'm not sure I'd recommend that, I have to say right now, but, you know, yeah. we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, so can I... Rolling back then, so where did the, the life of adventuring start? What, what led you into that, and in particular the polar regions? Well, uh, the polar regions were 
it just happened that that's where I saw the opportunity. Actually, um, I didn't do any adventuring and I never had a dream to adventure. I didn't go out the backyard. And um, I had triplets um, for my first lot of children, which was a challenge in its own self. But things went a little bit wrong in, in, in my own life and my marriage was breaking down and I lost a lot of self-confidence, if the truth be known. And it just so happened that, that at that point when I had lost confidence and, and the point when I'm the busiest in the world looking after three babies pretty much on my own, that um, I was shown an advert asking for ordinary women to apply to be part of the first all women seem to go to the North Pole. And for sure, if I had have been in a really good place, um, which I'd had a lot of years like that, I would never have applied. I had no dreams of that. But it was a vehicle to start getting some self-worth and I never imagined I'd get on the team. But but as as it happened, I did. And and that it was pure chance, nothing else. And it happened, the advert happened to be the polar regions. If it had been the Serengeti, <laughs> I'd have gone there as well, you know. It's funny how sliding doors and all that. <laughs> yeah. Where was the advert? Was it, in the, was it in a magazine or TV? Well, it, there was two. It was in the Telegraph and it was also on uh, the radio. I can't remember which station. I don't, can't remember whether it was local or it, I think it wasn't because people came from all over the UK. So um, it was an advert. And the advert was probably why I felt comfortable because there were six women and they had sandals and skis. And, and I'd never skied before, ever, ever, that they just didn't look professional. So I kind of felt, well, oh, right, well, I'll give it a go then. Uh, did you have to go through any trials to, to get on to the team? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, so the first, they had two selection weekends, both on Dartmoor. I'd never, I said, not been outdoors. So I borrowed all my kit from the military. I looked amazing, looked like G.I. Jane, <laughs> but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and I turned up on Dartmoor and, and I just would never, if it had been one weekend, I would never have been chosen. There were over 250 women. They were all outward bound instructors. They were just people that you would expect to do expeditions and adventures. And, and they surely had. Um, and I hadn't. Didn't know how to do anything and couldn't read a map. You know, was was rubbish. But they had a, the full selection nine months later. And that was four days. And, and that was tough. And so I had nine months. And... I have such a gratitude to the military because they helped me. They taught me how to read a map. I didn't have the finances to go on courses. And um, I did uh, circuits on the local military camp. Um, they had a crash and joined a gym with a crash. And so they were only 18 months when they slept. I was training. And, and by doing that, because we can all have a dream, but if you don't put the work in and take the steps and make it happen, it is just that, a dream, which which is lovely. But to make it happen, it requires a lot of you know, strategy, hard work. And, and for me, it was either fully with the children or I was training. That was that was my life. And, and it meant both meant enough to just not do anything else. And, and that's how I got the team. So I went back in nine months' time and... 
think two things. I'd stood out so much on the first weekend that they remembered me. <laughs> and then I started to perform in the second. So I wasn't the best. It was 20 women that were chosen. It was a relay, the first one. Um, I have done an all the way expedition, but that was a relay. And I probably wasn't the best 20, but something about me was what they were looking for. And, and it changed my life forever. Yeah. What, what is it? Was it 60, 60 days you spent on that? Was it the MG that, that both poles? Was it 60 days on ice or something like that? It was quite so the quite lot, So that was a relay. So I actually was only on the ice 17 days and I never went to the North Pole. I only did, I did the first leg and then we passed over to the next team. I then went on where it wasn't put together with other people. That also had guides because you know, we didn't have the skills, but that was my starting point. And from then, five of us uh, put together our own expedition without guides and trained, and we crossed um, Antarctica to the South Pole. That was 60 days. And then um, I wanted to go. I started to guide and began to get a you know, real skill set. And so I asked uh, Caroline and Pom if they wanted to join me to do the whole thing from land to the North Pole. Yeah. Not a last yeah. degree, not a relay and uh, that was 80 days um that hasn't been repeated by a female team it still holds congratulations it's, that's uh phenomenal it's very uh, phenomenal what, what's the what was the so who did you was it two colleagues two friends that you done that with or was it just caroline that one was t- well it was two so that one was caroline hamilton and pom oliver who i could never have done it without two extraordinary women they just kept going when it was hopeless. That was when it was minus, the coldest was minus 56 Celsius. And it, to say it was unpleasant isn't true. It was survival in horrific pain. But we all had each other. And unfortunately, when it's those temperatures and you cannot get into a hotel or take any break, and uh, we had a storm so bad we had to lie under tent material, which meant that we couldn't cook. And, and you know, we were experts at putting tents up. It wasn't that we couldn't do it. The, the weather was, we were looking to be alive. And unfortunately, that set frostbite in. And Poms was so horrific. We had a resupply plane um, day 47 and Pom had to leave or else she would have, well, the, ex- the expedition would never have been a success she would for sure have lost her toes, if not her feet. And and so in the end of it, it was just me and Caroline that finished it off. But it was all three of us because we could never have done it if Pom hadn't kept going to that resupply supply plane. And we took her with us. We, you know, we spoke to her even <laughs> in our heads. Um, so I, I always think it's whilst it was only Caroline and I that got to the end, that it actually was the three of us that did it. There. Was she evacuated then by plane? How did that? Yeah, we come had about? a resupply. Um, yeah. So the the people that operate there are the real heroes. Um, they fly twin otters. They don't. They actually don't anymore uh, take expeditions out onto the sea ice because there's not enough ice around. It really has disappeared, and so um, you have to find a flat. Uh, pan of ice and they come in and they had given we had 47 days then a resupply where they're bringing you food and fuel and then out they went so for her it was really or for us it was really important she waited till the resupply 
because we didn't have the funding to just get a rescue plane and something else and 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 we were not going to be pulling international rescue or anything and the planes are stationed two days away as well you can't just call them in they can only land on a flat piece of ice so logistics are, are tough out there and she kept going in so much pain so that she could be taken out on the resupply plane which was superhuman she's yeah, a, did, a ninja an amazing woman yeah Never did she, given the credit did, that she deserves. did she recover from did she recover from that She did, um, but she didn't because she had wet gangrene as well. So it took away the top bit of her toes. They didn't regrow, but she lost the infection. She didn't lose her toes, but they hurt now. I mean, that was 2002. We're talking 21 years ago. They still hurt in the cold and she feels it. So um, I've got photographs of them. It just is the most awful and appalling uh, vision. Yeah, Christ. What was it? So, so, I mean, that must have been difficult. You're three down to two. But how, how did you, you motor on after that then? How, how far did you have to go from that point on the journey? Well, three, we still had around 300 miles to go. And, of course... So how it works, just to kind of explain it, um, because it's it's not similarised from the beginning to the end. So at the beginning of an expedition, it's really cold. It's after winter and you have ridge upon ridge where the ice has gone towards the land. So it's very difficult terrain. As you get further into the uh, ocean, you're getting warmer. You're coming in spring um, and also the ice is flatter. So you don't have the 30, 40 for ridges you still get some but they're definitely not as high mostly and you get a lot more moving ice and open water so whilst we still had 300 miles to go it was quicker our sledges were lighter and they ran quicker on the warmer weather uh, they stick at stupid temperatures so um we were lucky to do it well say we were lucky obviously we we put we were up hours and skiing hours and it wasn't easy and nobody thought we'd do it we just kept going even we didn't know what what the result would be uh over 30 uh 300 miles or thereabouts and and we got there and we got there bit of luck I mean, obviously the work we put in but a bit of luck <laughs> because the planes are like stationed two days away and they have to have good weather where they leave in Resolute, Eureka where they fill in fuel and then good weather where we are at the pole or, or wherever they're coming. So there's a real logistical um, plan and we got two extra days because the weather and the ice wasn't good enough. And uh, so we... We got there. If it had been two days earlier that they had to come and get us, we would never have made it. Um, and we made it. We made it with a couple of hours to spare. That was it. Um, but we did. We made it. Yeah. Um, was it? Was that? Was that in the Arctic or Antarctic? What? What? what were the you, Arctic. Were you on, it was the Arctic. Pole. Yeah. And the Arctic yeah. is. Uh, I've done both, so I feel happy to say it is the most dangerous and difficult environment because. Antarctica is on a landmass, so it's a it moves very slowly in general. You don't know it's moving, and and you are skiing on solid ice. But the North Pole, it's moving all the times. There's open water. There's ridges. There's thin ice. There's 
cauliflower-shaped bubbles that will suddenly start moving. It's a very dynamic environment and and much tougher to to pull a sledge across. What was that sleeping? What was it like sleeping at night? Because because obviously that, like you say, it's moving, it's shifting. Then you know the the yeah <laughs> the noises. Uh, But actually, you are so exhausted. When you're doing something like that, 80 days, pulling all your food and equipment, we had a resupply plan, of course, but we had 47 days full of food and and, um, fuel and all our equipment. By the time you put the tent up, even at minus 56, you are exhausted. You're climbing into frozen sleeping bags um, and you just, for a while, you think, Will I wake up in the morning? It's so cold. The next thing you know, you are fast asleep every night, fast asleep. Yeah. There is there was seconds between you know that moment when you close your eyes and just before you go to sleep, you have thought processes. Uh-huh. There was maybe about ten or twenty seconds because I used to think about the children. Then that was when I brought them to me, but it was seconds, and then I'm out. So sleeping 24 hours daylight as well, but it was not a problem. And then we'd have to set an alarm in the morning to wake us up because we were absolutely exhausted every day. Um, well, that's, so in terms of, so what's it like with, in the Arctic then? Did you have to put up precautions for, well, come on to the polar bear stuff and your, your, your solo expedition, but did you have to? Mm-hmm. What was that like in that expedition? Are, even as a team, are you still taking precautions like around your tent perimeters or were you far enough away from dangerous wildlife, do you think? No. Um, so it's a it's kind of a toss-up one to the other. Is Everything you are putting in your sledge, you have to pull. So you have to think about the weight ratio of will that have mean that we can't get there? And also the um, the risks of polar bears. And from Canada all the way up there, there are polar bears, but it's not near community. So they don't necessarily know what humans are. We saw prints for sure. You are not allowed on the ice unless you have a gun. You don't get a permit. You have to take a gun. And it's obviously for precautions and the trick is if if you get an encounter you fire it you 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 don't out there shooting polar bears and we had bear spray but we made the decision not to take perimeters and we all were happy with that decision because the tripwire doesn't always go off and you've got flares it doesn't always work it's um it has its own risks that you can rely on it and it, it just doesn't work so we kept the gun by the side well just actually not in the tent because if it gets condensation on it it'll freeze and then you've got a problem but just outside um, near our head and then we had the can of uh, bear spray pepper spray in the tent and we were very fortunate on that expedition we saw um, polar bear prints and the and we did see an Arctic fox, which is always terrifying because they follow the polar bears, discovering <laughs> that we were lucky. And that's so that's almost worse than the polar bear things. Um, but we were lucky; we didn't have any encounters at all on the, on that expedition. Yeah, you're probably wondering where you are in the food chain when you see an Arctic fox. You know, at what, at what point? Yeah. Is where, where, where are the polar bears hiding? And they're gonna, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Not today. Yeah, good. So in terms of your equipment, then obviously you were getting supplies and stuff. I'm assuming that was probably food and, and things like that. But in terms of tools and the sled and heat, fire, you know, uh, cooking and stuff, is there anything, is it, were you well prepared there? Anything you, you should have taken that you, you wish you could, you should have, or you wish you had rather? Is there any, anything in that? <laughs> There's a lot of things I wish we could have, but um, <laughs> not what we had. We we were in Resolute, and we, I, I mean, we had done the whole South Pole. We knew what we actually needed. We knew what was luxury and what was necessity. Your food and your fuel, obviously, that's a given. Your fuel, we only took enough for cooking with, not heating, because you have to pull it. So again, and we're very aware that we are a team of females that are actually, we have many skills that you guys don't have, but you are physically stronger than we are. And we were very aware that what we put in it, it has to be for the expedition. We can't have luxuries because we have to pull it. And we have to pull it for many days and many miles so we were paired right back there was food those fuel to cook it you melt the snow so you don't need water or anything of course uh, the food was the highest calorie for the smallest weight so um if we could get uh 5,000 into one kilogram per person that was our ideal that kind of thing and then everything was what we needed we had um, a compass which didn't work very well but you know it's there and um, we navigated by the sun and our watches but you know your sleeping bags your cookers your tent we didn't take tent poles the tent went up with our ski poles and our wow. um skis so we thought about all that it <laughs> We even when we got to Resley, we uh, we took one camera because at first we wanted bigger cameras and videos, but we just couldn't pull the sledges. So that's out. And um, we had a pen and a pencil. And we had one cup, which we ate from. We didn't have a bowl, a cup, a knife, and a fork, and one spoon. So that's kind of what it was. We didn't even take toilet paper because that's excessive weight. <laughs> so we were cleaning ourselves with snow wedges, um, which. Yeah. It's fairly dedicated when uh, it's minus stupid, but, you know, there you go. Yeah. Whatever it takes. On that, how do you go to the toilet in the Arctic? Do you have to do that in the tent? I can't imagine you're going to bear your skin in the middle of the Arctic, are you? Or are you? Well, no, because you may be skiing 10, 11 hours. You know, you can't do it in the tent. And actually, we didn't do it in the tent anyway. Um it's fairly simple, and I I, um, I think everything's about how you view things, your mental attitude. So I think we have it better than you lot. So we had a zip from the navel to the small of our back, which we with toggles on because you can't take your gloves off in the real cold, so you're just out. And then underneath, we we then had underwear. Our next layer was um, there were no zips in it; they just folded. So when we went to the loo, we just unzipped and then went and cleaned ourselves with snow and, and that's it. But, of course, you know, we are females, we have different plumbing, so we don't have to pull anything out. It's, <laughs> it's all very well protected. Yeah. We're all very lucky. And then you're off and you just have to do it and not a bit pragmatic about it and just get on with it. And, and we, didn't, we did it in front of each other. We didn't care. We're not going off on our own hiding because there are the ice moves and there are predators about. So... You do everything in front of each other. You see each other at the very bare 
person that you are and there's no hiding and and I loved that about expedition life because it doesn't matter where you come from what money you've got what your background is when you're on that ice you look the same and it's who you are inside and it's very rare in our life because we all wear masks that you are back you know hard right back to who you are and I love that about expedition life and in many teams I've been in, you know. That's, that's really nice to hear. Were, were you friends, were you close friends before you went on the expedition? Or what was your relationship? Well, I met what? them. At, um, it was interesting because I met them. Um, I can't remember me and Paul at the selection. Um, but I, I saw Caroline and I saw her and thought, oh, I'm keeping away from her because I don't want her to realise how rubbish I am. She saw me and, of course, I'd got all the army get on and thought, I'm keeping away from her because she's an expert. I don't want her to see that I'm rubbish. Um, and then we really, we saw each other a little bit in the training, but not not really. And we were on different legs of the relay. We didn't get to know each other until we got together as a group, just, well, there were six originally, um, to put the South Pole together. And uh, interestingly, um, I would have thought me and Caroline were so different, just, but actually, we had so much in common. We just really, you know, we became a unit. Um, and true. when Pom was with us, equally for Pom. Pom and I, well, we're all still really close, really close. Very different human beings, but really close. That's fantastic. Yes, yeah, so, so you you sounded it sounds like you worked well as a unit. Obviously, the result speaks for itself, but that's really that's really good to hear. And I think that's key. And us, um, what I found magical about that team is everybody was working for the other person. Not they left their egos, so it was very much, you know, we were we were we put in the work, we were slogging, but we were always helping each other and there for each other and 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 girls are good at that as well just caring if I was having a crap day I didn't mind if Caroline took some of my weight if she was the same she didn't mind if I did we didn't we didn't mind sharing when we were having bad days we didn't feel that you you can't carry my weight or you can't do this job for me we were really happy to give and take help and and that's I think was one of our keys to success. Yeah, you know, what sounds like you worked as a team. That's that's. I mean, I wonder how that would be with certain certain men, certain individuals. The, the ego, the competition. Uh, it's pretty, and, well, and interestingly, I know we'll come on to it later. But I've I've been in all male teams as well, and and it's worked together uh, really well. Um, I've never been in one where it didn't possibly uh, work as well as it might, but mostly it's worked and the teams have had that same ethos that they've worked for each other. So, yeah. yeah. So, brilliant. So in terms of that, when that concluded then, obviously breaking some barriers, all women, you know, world records, how did that, make you feel and how was that received by the public (laughs) that's an interesting question and I could answer that both ways and both ways would be true (laughs) so um I did get some backlash I I was a single woman with three children um definitely got some backlash uh, and from the media I was asked on a tv program just to tell me what a terrible human being I was I, I got that and it's 
slightly irritated. It used to irritate me then. I kind of welcome it now. Um, but equally, I was really, the media also really took to me and and I had some really heartwarming coverage and I and the, so the media were mainly great just a few pockets of horror um but uh and some women judged me particularly mothers um but mostly I got an awful lot of support and an awful lot of women who which sounds like is egotistical they contacted me and went following you and watching what you've done has made me feel I can do something. I don't have to be a slave to motherhood. I'm a real person. I can achieve things. Even women that weren't mothers were, wow, I come from your background. And actually, it's what you did from where you came from. And it wasn't all adventures. It might be one woman had didn't have any qualifications. And she went, really inspired me um, to go and get some qualifications. That was the joy of people that were just, and they took the time to tell me, um, and that was the joy of it, thinking, wow, I've made a difference to somebody out there. And there's quite a lot of, of, of that, that women particularly, that um, and has been ongoing throughout, uh, and that has been a great gift. Yeah, and I think it is a gift that, you know, through your public speaking, a lot of the work that you do on the, the corporate front as well, I, I think that still continues to carry that message, the teamwork, the inspirational stories and stuff that you put forward. I, I think you're still inspiring people, or, you know, these years later. So I think it's And, that's, and it's nice to be able, I mean, I earn a living from it, so I'm obviously not doing it for the good of my health. I don't want to say, oh, and I'm so great doing all this <laughs> for people because I get paid for it. But, yeah. You know, I'm. I'm working all over. I'm in America. I'm here. I'm, um, and I get asked back, and and sometimes yeah, I pinch myself. But the things I talk about, it's not me that is the key to it. Of course, I'm doing it, but for me, it's whether you're leading a team. I've led teams up there. I've been part of them. It's wherever you are, whether it's in the corporate world, in the classroom, or in your own home. It's the same skill set. And when we learn to work together and and empower other people, it's not about us. For me, there's so much that you can achieve, so much. And, and it's better and, and joyful and, you know, who wants to go to work and be miserable? We've all had those bosses, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so that's, that's what I get from it as well. Can I ask a favour? If you're enjoying the show, can you give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel on YouTube? If you happen to be listening to the audio-only version, can you give us a follow along there too? It'll really help grow the channel. We've got some fantastic guests coming up with some truly inspirational stories. Now, let's get back to this episode. Thank you. I mean, what I like about the story is, I mean, I've been this show speaking to, to a lot of adventurers, some extreme adventurers, and I'm uh, listening to your, your story as well, not really coming from a background where you've You've been brought up in, in, in that kind of extreme adventure environment and stuff and responding to an advert and going getting stuck in and getting on with it and, and doing it and then going and doing it again and now speaking and inspiring others. I think you know, that, that's, that is really something. <laughs> Who would have thought, Chris, that being brought up in some tough areas <laughs> of Bradford would be the, the best <laughs> Training ground. Yeah. Yeah. It appears I can do quite okay. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, 
Excellent. So, so can I move you forward a little bit? So, you, so teamwork, you know, both poles, but then you've done the solo expedition, didn't you? How, how did yeah. that compare to, to being, you know, in a team? And, and did you, sorry, did you have supply? When you were doing the, the, the poles solo, did you have like supply planes and stuff coming as well to help? How, talk us through that a little. Well, it'd have been great if I'd have been on there long enough to get supplies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, 21 days is still, Christ, I can't, I can't imagine 24 hours alone. In the, in the, in the... Well, I didn't know it. Well, yeah, so you're right. I didn't get supplied during the time I was there. It was just me. Um, so, I, number one, uh, if you'd have asked me at the time, I would not, I, I feel different about it in hindsight. And I loved it, and it was a great honour to be by my by myself on the ice and feel nature. I mean, of course, you're also part of a team. You've got a base team. You've got, I mean, and let's. I think it's important to say this: the sponsors that give you the money to go, they're corporate. I'm not taking money from anybody else. They're people, and and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. Um, I don't do it now, so it's not that I'm touting after sponsors by being good to <sighs> them. These people that actually allow us to go out there, and you owe them a debt of gratitude. You should take your photographs, give them the exposure you want and all that. And they're part of your team, and that comes back to when I'm out there, even though I don't want to take a photograph, then they're my team. You, you have to do it. So I think that's important, and people forget that, that even though I was on my own, I had a big Big lot of people uh, in the background. And I loved being on my own. But uh, af- afterwards, I, I did think, oh, God, I'm not doing that again. Uh, that was the most ridiculously stupid thing I've ever done in my life. What the hell was I thinking? Um, and and so I didn't go back for another go. I, let's put it that way. I. I want people with me, as it turns out. I'm not being out there with bloody marauding polar bears and God knows what. So what was that that like? What what was that like? That must have been pretty harrowing, being stalked by a polar bear. I mean, it doesn't get any worse. Yeah, it was one of those moments. I actually have a selfie of my... um, I arrived and um, it was in a big MIA helicopter I left from Russia. It was cheaper to go from Russia and, uh, not surprisingly, getting the money for a single mother of three to go on her own was not an easy thing. So I didn't have enough money to go from Canada. That was then double the price. So I left from Russia. And you're going in in a big MIA helicopter. There's no seats. There's no anything. You can smell fuel. And and then you come on down. And um, I was given a... A gun uh, flung a gun at me, and um, oh, I'd never used this particular gun before. Never used it. It was um, a Magnum forty-four, so it was a handgun. I'd always taken a, a shotgun, but like I say, you have to have a gun, and I can't take my own gun through Russia. You know, you're not. That's not happening. So, um, and I was given this big Kalashnikov. I went, I can't pick that up. For goodness sake, don't worry about it. Um, and so they left me and gave me this gun and then left me. And I, I was terrified for for the first I, – I was terrified. I thought, well, right, um, you have to do one thing. So I thought, well, shoot this gun and see if you can aim with it, this <laughs> big handgun that you've never been trained to use. So I did some ice, and, and as it turned out, it, it was fine. 
well, I say it was fine. I could shoot it and I was on target, but the kickback for a Magnum 44 was huge. And then I thought, right, you have to go, just go. And then once I'd taken that step and just done some stuff, you know, done the shooting, carried on going, the fear began to subside and I just went into my skill set. But then, of course, the first thing I see is polar bear prints because leaving from Russia is different from Canada. The ice goes away from land, so you get more areas of open water and thinner ice. Polar bears hadn't on open water and thin ice. They were everywhere. And I thought, you're going to have an encounter. They're everywhere. There was just so many. There was footsteps on top of footsteps. And I'd never had an encounter on my own. And will I see them? I knew I would. But, you know, you have those uh, fears of their white. There's a lot of white around. But actually, as soon as I saw them, they were cream and really stood out. And they're moving in a, a, a fairly static environment. Uh, I know the ice moves, but it, it doesn't move constantly. So, yeah, I saw them. And then you have to let them get closer because no good firing guns when they're a distance. There's a lot of cracks with the ice. You have to let them come on in, those three, so that they know that the bang and any flash or is coming from you. So it's very counterintuitive and you hold your ground and they're coming in. But I kept walking and just watching them and they were getting closer. We were almost pincering me. And once they got close, I realized they were three around the same size. But as they got close, I realized it was a mother and two cubs. So they were probably around two years, probably ready to leave her. And I would imagine male they weren't that close, but they were just similar size. And so I, they got close enough. I discharged the weapon, fired the ice, and the polar bears ran away. It was textbook because they don't have communities up there. They're not used to people. They don't know what you are. It's it's not like on Svalbard or on the, the communities in, 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 in Canada or none of it. They don't know what you are. So, yep, run away, first encounter. I took video, I'm talking 10 to the dozen, and then I just kept going, and day by day, it Again, I was still suffering from the cold and and all those things and pulling my own sledge because that's just me pulling my tent. And the exhaustion every night, again, I just banged asleep. Sometimes I'd get up and there were polar bear prints around my tent. I had no idea. (laughs) Never stopped me sleeping ever. And And it was around day seven. I woke up in the morning and and all my clothes are frozen, so it takes a long time to get dressed. I saw a shadow going around the tent. At first I thought, who's outside? Well, you're on your own. (laughs) Not Santa Claus, is it? (laughs) Uh, And I opened the door and there was a huge male and he was right out my door feet on his hind legs, um, and oh, he's on his hind legs, he's not coming for me, he's curious, again, he's wondering what he is, because he's exposing all his organs, so oh, I'll use my, get my gun, shoot the eyes, he's really close, he'll go, I shot the eyes, I promised Chris, he looked at it, and then looked at me as if to say, is that it? Oh, it was, no way. <laughs> okay, this is not coming to plan. And I had four bullets left. And so I then began to have another fear is I can't discharge all these bullets to frighten him. I, I, I'm not. I'm going home. 
And so I shot over his head and I thought, that has to be the last warning and then you're going to have to wait and see what happens. And I shot over his head and he looked up because you get a crack sound when uh, a bullet goes over the top of your head. Found that out afterwards. Um, And he dropped and he left. And I put my tent down. I was, nothing's quick. And I went north. That's where I always went. And he was waiting for me north behind a ridge. So I went east and then he was tracking me and I thought, well, if he's going to track me, I'll go north and I'll cut behind him and I'll see because he'll have to then turn around. And he looked back but carried on his way. And for three days I would see him, not see him, see him, not see him. But for three days I felt his presence. I felt his energy. Sometimes I felt like he was a companion. Sometimes I thought I was the next meal. And after three days, about two-thirds of the way through the day, he left. But I knew he'd gone. It isn't, oh, I haven't seen him for a day. He must have gone. I just, I saw him. And then I felt that his energy had gone, like he'd made the decision. Nope, I don't know what it is, but she's not for me. Yeah. And I never had any other encounters. I it, That was it. And so I carry him. All the time, because he's now part of me. He, It was just me and him and terror like I've never felt before. And then, again, the honour of being able to share that space. And he taught me so much um, in a spiritualistic way. I've, I've never really been spiritual until then. It, it's not a thing in Bradford that we're all <laughs> spiritual. And all it's not. But I was, and I feel more in contact with Earth than I ever have done before. So he reminds me to be brave, and I feel I've still got him with me. Oh, and then, so then, of course, blah, blah, blah. And then after 21 days, I I just kept going. I was doing really well, 175 miles in 21 days. I thought that's pretty good going because in the team with the women, on day 37, we'd only gone 69 miles. It was different terrain, and, and so that's not like for like, but 175 miles, 21 days, I'm I'm rocking it. Put my tent up, I ring my base manager, and he says, I don't know how to tell you, Anne. He just was so quiet. I knew that there was something wrong because whilst I started off with HF Radio, we're now on sap phones, and I called him, and he said, um, I said, come on, Ian, what, 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 what are you not telling me? He said, you, you can't, you have to stay. Um, every permit has been removed by the Russians on every expedition that year, not just yours. They are coming to get you. Nothing you can do about it. And there was two women trying something. Uh, they went and picked them up first. Um, they happened to be behind me. They then came and got me. And then there were three guys um, ahead doing an expedition and science work, and they picked them up, and we were out. That was it. Done. No positive thinking, keeping you there. It was done. We were out. What was that? Um, we Politics? Was that sort of political bullshit or what, what was that about? I believe so. I was given a lot of reasons why and I don't think it's fair to, I, I, you know, I wasn't there in the rooms where it happened so the reasons I have no proof and I don't know. What I do know is the year after um, there was only one company working out there that happened to be Russian and the prices went up double. That's what I do know. (laughs) That is a fact. The rest of it is all conjecture. I think I just got caught. My year was the year of the pawns and we got caught in a political or 
commercial or whatever it was, um, we were we were the fall guys, you know. Okay, so I said, well, whatever, nothing you can do about it. Well, it sounds like you had an incredible experience regardless. Uh, you know, you were beaten, thankfully, but yeah. Be like, so well, and you know, I took that out of it. I genuinely changed how I felt first for the first few hours it wasn't more than that it was oh they've ruined i was you know get they've ruined my dreams are gone i was going to the <laughs> north pole and they've done it and then i just thought about it differently and thought oh come on Anne, you've had 21 days adventures you've been with these polar bears there were it was um 2005 march 2005 so there was a big uh, tsunamis in december 2004 wow people have lost their lives their family get a grip and I genuinely, on the way out, I'm thinking that. And then I thought, and actually, hang on, man. It was horrific. And I'm on my own. And I've had polar bear encounters. And I've fallen through the ice a bit. How do you know they stopped you getting to the pole? Actually, what if they saved your life? Well, what if the next time it went badly? Yeah. What if you couldn't get yourself out? They may not have stopped you getting to the pole. They may have saved your life. And just those thoughts made me feel very different about that experience. And, and I'm all right with it. Genuinely, it was a great experience. And and it, part of me, what I admitted after a few months was, oh, part of me was glad. It was bloody awful yeah. on me all <laughs> out there in the cold. Part yeah. of me was a bit relieved. And I, I want to be honest about that to myself and everybody yeah. else. Part of me was relieved. It was all right. I mean, you must have had to dig deep in that because, I, I mean, no doubt, you know, a bit exhilarating, but it must have been scary with w- w- that thing lurking around. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't much accelerate- acceleration, not much <laughs> of that either. Not, not much of the, the joys of the um, exhilaration of it while I was on it because it was so tough. But it, the joy of being there, I did feel at one with nature. That was absolutely for sure. But it's a tough environment, and it's a tough environment in those temperatures hauling a sledge, a very heavy sledge, with all your equipment and just you, day in, day out. It's it's a tough journey. So so what's led you to go back then and do some of the, the scientific research? Because you, you've been out doing, is it the Catlin survey work? Catlin. Catlin were our sponsors. Yeah. So whilst it was a scientific expedition, lots of people think Catlin is a scientific term, but they were our sponsors. And what what that meant is that we could be a scientific expedition that could work with different scientific bodies. Because obviously if you're paid by a scientific institution, then they want the data. So it meant that we could work with different scientific bodies that were looking at different work. And... That was put together partly, it was put together by Penn Haddo. I was partly uh, interested in being part of it, partly because of what went with the um, solo. I didn't want to go back out there and put myself through that if I couldn't do any good. And I wanted to do something, even a small thing that would make a difference in this world, a real difference. And to go to places and be able to use my skills to collect science and help very clever, intelligent people understand what's going on in our planet, that was the only reason I would want to do this again. 
And also, I wanted to understand it more myself. And thankfully, Penn Haddo put it together. It was his. He was leading it. It was his. We'd had a lot of conversations. He did the first selection. Penn and I have a very long relationship. And um, he and I were great friends, and he put it together. And he asked me, came to me. We'd had a lot of conversations about making a difference in science. And he asked me to lead it. But not lead it. He was the leader to physically be at the front. So to be the pathfinder, to decide, you know, to kind of section the days, kind of to be the logistics, right, we need to stop at this time, and to make sure that the others could do their job and that it was all fit into the day. So that was just the most wonderful honour when he contacted me. And, of course, he's the first man to go and support it from Canada to the North Pole solo. I said, why Why me? Um, there's a bit of insecurity. You know, this is an all-male group. Well, number one, why not you? And he said, I have to do the science. This is a scientific expedition. And I am needed to do science all day long. So I need somebody I can trust who could, I'm going to say pathfinder because it's a better word. He was the leader um, at the front. And uh, he and he he just, and I said, well, because I'm a woman and I tick the diversity box or because I've got triplets and I'm PR. And he went, oh, <coughs> what I mean about good leaders. He said, no, Anna, I've asked you because you're the best. And you should think that. And that did two things. Number one, pull myself up because I'm always telling females to be more confident about their abilities. <coughs> but equally, you know, he, I believed him and he gave me that absolute trust and belief that I could do the job and when somebody gives you that you're going to do the best you can for them so it was it was Penn that asked me to do it and it was what I wanted to do anyway to move into science and then the third member so Penn was doing science we were drilling through the ice to measure the thickness of the ice I say wait I'm leading he we are drilling but of course he was doing it all annotating all the features and and we were working with scientists across the globe and then the third person was Martin Hartley who's an amazing and fantastic photographer but also a great expeditioner so (coughs) I'm doing my expedition stuff but of course the boys have still got to do that and there are the roles and we had to be respectful um, of, well, the science had to come first. Who cares how far you go if you don't do the science? So that always had to be our first responsibility. And then actually it was Martin's next because we wanted to share what was happening out there. And photographs do a really good job of that. So Martin was important. And as it turned out, my job was, was the least important because – uh, and we forgot that, all of us, for a while, because we all are used to doing miles and miles. And <clears throat> after a couple of days, we had to realise what's the priorities, what are we doing here? And uh, it was so successful um, that Catelyn said sponsors and more um, that it was real data that was collected and papers were written and, and the findings went to Copenhagen and it was so successful, more scientists were wanting to be part of it. And so the next year was bigger and we were working on ocean acidification. Chemistry of our oceans are changing. So Penn had to step out and a guy called Charlie Patton came in and and did his role, plus collecting the seawater. 
keeping it unfrozen. We didn't have a cool box. We had a warm box. Uh, and so the three of us went again and, and, and recreated that. And then there was three. And then the third year, um, I actually wasn't going to do the third year because I only ever do one every few years. I've got, you know, my children are much more grown up. They're fine. But I'd been away from the family a lot. Um, uh, but this year they were taking a scientist, a filmmaker and two people to do the guiding, looking after them. And it was a shorter expedition because obviously we had non-expedition people there. And so I, uh, I agreed to do, to do that with, with Tyler. We both, you know, looked, guided them. And uh, I say shorter, it was all 43 days or 47 days to my memory. Um, and that was just a wonderful honour. And that was about the warmth of the oceans and the the thermohaline, so how much salt is in there as well. Because as the ice is melting the fresh water from Greenland and, and all over, it's making our oceans less salty, which is causing another problem, another eco-problem. So to do those three for me is the best I've ever... It it, it beats... The, you know, the world record's great, you know, but... So what? Be able to make a difference. And of course, all I'm doing is collecting data or looking after a scientist who's doing the real work. But, oh, that gave me a feeling of self-worth. And actually, this is worth getting cold and miserable for. Okay. Um, it was that was it, That was just brilliant. Yeah, great to move from one to the other. Yeah, well, someone has to do it. So it's all very valuable and practical work. Uh, did, did that? How did it? Because you've done some work with with NASA and the European Space Agency as well. Was was that part of that survey, or did that come after? What, what was that? It came after. NASA was working with that, but there was, yeah. like I said, there was an awful lot, and NASA was. But I was working with a. Um, I was asked uh, to be part of another team um it was a lady called denise notenboom who was working with nasa and the european space agency and again asked me to come on with the skills that i do um and again i think it's fair to say i you know I, i'm paid to do the work it's not all altruistic I know, i've got to yeah. i've got to pay bills yeah. so i don't want to misrepresent myself and uh, she asked me to do that, and um, that was a two degree, so it was 120 miles, and we were working with the Ice Bridge program. NASA were flying over, flip up weren't worth, they did it only once, flew <laughs> over us with their ground, their radars, and we were measuring snow depths and and working with them on that, and um and they took photographs of us as they went over. Being there, I've got it on video, where they flew over, that was a moment, a moment that I don't think can ever be surpassed. NASA flying over you <laughs> in their jet while you're sending information to them. They also took a <laughs> when I got to know them all, and when we all came back, I was chatting to John, who was the head of the program, and he went, "And what were you doing before?" Before we we flew over, uh, and I was uh, separated. Um, there was some videoing going on, and so I separated myself from the videoing. I was doing some of the work, and I went, what do you mean, what was I doing? I was waving and taking photographs. He went, no, just before that. I went, I don't know, what do you mean, what was I doing? And he went, well, we do take infrared photographs, you know. 
And he went, and we know what we're seeing. And I went, oh, no, I've gone for a poo. And it's showing up on their radar. Oh, so I have a photograph of my poo near the North Pole taken by NASA. <laughs> that tops a polar story. That tops it, yeah. So, yeah, I got involved in that. I was working with the camera crew, and then I just carried on working on the NASA program, taking up because um, I'm now one of them. I'm not. I don't work for them. Okay, <laughs> they. Uh, I put things out for them, and they use um, tracking beacons. So if I'm up there doing something else, it, it's great to be able to plug in and get things to regions that take so much expense and logistics. And if I'm going, I'm just take it up. You know, for the price of a FedEx, as as John would say. Um, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's yeah. that's doing some important work, isn't it? All that tracking beacons and stuff around like climate change and you know the the, the areas and how that shifted and stuff. And working on climate change is so passionate to me. We are wrecking the world, and and I do an awful lot of work along that outside of just the pulling and and you know it's it's important that we think about how we tread on this earth and. And just take it a lot easier. There is so much we can do, and I'm a great believer in the collective. It's not just keep point. Yes, of course, the governments, the corporates, and other countries, because we're all good at pointing fingers, can do more. But start with us. Until you've got your house in order, when we all put our house in order, it makes a big a big difference. And I'm I'm a big believer in that. Wait, right? I I agree. Agree. So. Want to be respectful of your, your time, man. We're almost coming up on time, but just a couple of things I wanted to ask. So, as you reflect on your past expeditions and you know, being a woman doing some of those world firsts, what, what, how would you like that to be remembered and to inspire people? What would you, what would you say to that? I think uh, for me, I that is to be remembered of. It's not even necessarily the world records. Of course, that's, that was great. But then to move into the scientist world and lead male expeditions where there are not women doing that is just have the courage to take your steps forward and, and feel confident about yourself. Know your skills. If you don't know them, learn them. And you're not in competition with people Everybody in a team has skills, and that's what I want to be remembered for, that I'm one of them, and my skills are as important as everybody else's, and and particularly for women out there. It's a scary world, but the more that we go out, and if you get there, pull other women up. You know, men are great, and they're important, but for me, as women, pull each other up and support each other, recommend each other, help each other, and 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 empower each other to have the courage to step forward in in more places than we might otherwise. Excellent, very, very important. Thank you. So we have two closing traditions uh, on the show. One of which is a call to adventure, and the other one is a pay it forward suggestion. So the call to adventure is. Uh, the opportunity for you, the guest, to, to give us a suggestion for an adventure activity, a trip, a place or somewhere, something to go and do to step away from the screen, something to inspire people to, to do something a bit more adventurous. What would you say well, Can I say that? two things? I know you've got a call to adventure for what? One, I recommend a lot of people go to Explorers Connect. 
com because there's loads of people on there who are looking for novices and, and people who haven't got experience to join teams and and there are so many ideas and that for me is the call to adventure go to somewhere where you can find ideas that will fit in with you and um, my daughter uh, is going to Ecuador tomorrow and going in the Amazon because that's what she wants to do. She's only 20, so call to adventure. Uh, just get up and go do it. Fantastic. It's up to you to go in your place. So many. Go do it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's Belinda Chuck's uh, thing, I think, that Explorers Correct. Excellent. It is. Yes. It is. I'm always telling people, go there. There's so much yeah. to see there. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and then, so finally, the pay it forward uh, a suggestion. So any sort of cause, charities, worthy uh, initiatives, anything that's important to you that we, you would like to raise more awareness of, what would you say for the pay it forward? <laughs> right, so, um, yes, all climate change, whether it's WWF, uh, the smaller things, but um, on a personal and very selfish pay it forward is I have managed to get my place on the London Marathon through a charity. Um, I had trouble with my knees with menopause and couldn't run around the block and thought, right, well, the way to do that is to just get in a marathon and you'll have to figure it out. So I am raising money for SAFA, which is the Sailors, Soldiers and Airmen um, Foundation. And it is about helping people who have given their lives sometimes or at least their physical and mental everything so that we can sleep safe in our beds and this charity takes care or helps them mentally physically and their families and friends so if anybody feels that suffer they could pay something forward to them go do that excellent Great, I'll get that listed, get some awareness to that. That's uh, very, uh, very kind of you. Thank you. So as we're coming up in time, I've really enjoyed, it's been a very warm conversation considering the topics have been in the polar regions. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Chris. uh, And there's a quote that I've seen on on your site. uh, It's dream big, work hard, make it happen, which uh, really struck a chord. So, so, I would recommend people go and check out your site, uh, andandles.com. But where else can people find you or anywhere else that that we should come and follow? Everywhere, Desert Island Discs, so you can pick that up on the BBC thing. I'm, I'm really bad at social media. And I need to get better. I'm on there at Anne Daniels GB, but, you know, I'm not great at it. Um, So... You follow me on there, and occasionally I put things on there. Uh, I do put things when I'm on expedition, but I, uh, but not always then. Um, so you can find me, but ah, uh, you know, I'm around. <laughs> yeah, we'll get all that. Don't listed. bother finding me. Go do your own stuff. Go exactly, do it. exactly. That's that's yeah. that is the message. Get away from the screen and go and go and have some fun. Yeah, go do something instead. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. I really enjoyed it and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For the show notes and further information, please visit adventurediaries.com slash podcast. And finally, we hope to have inspired you to take action and plan your next adventure, big or small, because sometimes... 
We all need a little adventure to cleanse that bitter taste of life from the soul. Until next time, have fun and keep paying it forward.